Please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17. Why don't we stand and read together? But we, brethren, having been taken away from, from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope, our joy, or our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you know, yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distresses and afflictions, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may the Lord, may our Lord, sorry, may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Please be seated. How many people in here have worried deeply over the spiritual condition of someone you loved? Okay. How much of your worry has been because of the unknown? Where are they? What's going on? Where are they up? What are they up to? What are they thinking? And so on. How much of the worry is because you recognize that the person you care about is at a crossroads spiritually? You can see it. You don't know if they're going to continue to persevere with the Lord or they're going to walk away from him and say, he's not for me and neither is the Christian faith. Now you worry because you've seen it happen before and you know people that once professed Christ, that have walked away and don't even claim any allegiance to him anymore. I'm sure you have a list of people that you know personally that once stood for Christ and don't now. So beginning with verse 17, Paul here starts to shift gears in his letter. 
up to this point, everything has been about Paul's relationship to the Thessalonians in the past. They're coming to them, or yeah, the apostles coming to them, uh, the Thessalonians' conversion, the nature of their ministry amongst the Thessalonians, um, their suffering at the hands of their own countrymen, and so on. So Paul now shifts gears now into something different. He wants to now shift gears into um, a different area of life, not so much the past, but reminding them, reminding them about their faith. See, he starts to remind them of how much he's had this deep concern over them. And in particular, at the forefront, is the solidness of their faith. If you like to circle things in your Bible, faith is at the forefront of Paul's thinking. Look in verse 2. The word faith comes up. So not verse 2. Um, oh yeah, verse 2 of chapter 3, that is. The word faith is there. In verse 5 of chapter 3, the word faith is there. In verse 6, the word faith is there. In verse 7, and in verse 10. Five times faith is mentioned. So while Paul had a few things in mind, his biggest concern in regards to their faith was had they in the midst of such intense opposition persevered in their commitments to Christ or in their absence had they wavered and denied them altogether. Now the reason why the spiritual state of the Thessalonians was unknown begins to be unpacked for us in verse 17. He says, But we, brethren, having been taken away for, for you from a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. So you remember from Acts chapter 17 what happened there, right? The, the, the apostles were amongst them, and they were ministering to them, but they were forced to flee due to persecution from the Jewish people, who rounded up the Thessalonian Gentiles to go against them. Now, because they were forced to flee without proper closure and a proper goodbye, it left Paul deeply concerned for the spiritual well-being of the Thessalonians because he left them in the midst of persecution, the one he got to flee from. So we got, we got to see then Paul have this deep concern for who they are and how they're doing. And there's really three important observations in 17 through 20 that show his deep concern. First of all, notice how he defines his, part, his departure. He says, we were taken away from you for a short while. That word taken away, for those of you who love Greek and are kind of Bible nerds, the word Greek is the word, or in Greek for taken away is orphaned. So he describes his departure from them as being orphaned from them. So he wants them to understand that when he was ripped out of their arms, it was kind of like this leaving and separation that parents would experience when they lose their children. And this is why he was so desperate to get back to them. But the second way we see Paul's deep concern is found in verse 18. He says, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. So we see his affection again for them and his deep concern by, he made, by the fact he made several attempts to get back to Thessalonica. But he had this inability to go get there, and his plans are frustrated because of the work of the devil. Now how Paul knew that it was Satan particularly that had frustrated his travel plans, we don't know. 
But it's important to recognize that Paul clearly knew and could see the devil's hand in his ability, inability to get to them. And that's an important reminder to us that we have an enemy and there are spiritual forces at work that seek to oppose God's kingdom and seek to even frustrate our travel plans when we want to, say, go and strengthen another believer who's, who's in, is in the midst of trial. He doesn't want any Christian to be encouraged or to persevere in their faith. But we also see Paul's deep concern found in verse 20, or 19, I should say, by the way he defines them. He says, For who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. I love this. Paul calls them their, his joy, his crown, and, the glo- and his glory. If I were to ask you, what are your joys today? Where does it come from? You might say, my family. The vacation that I get to go on really soon. For Paul, the joy, the joy he experienced and the crown he wore in his head was the Thessalonians and the faith they had in Jesus Christ. If Paul had said nothing else but these endearing words to them, the Thessalonians would have known how much they meant to Paul and how much he was deeply concerned for who they are, who they were, and how they were doing. But as I've mentioned over and over so far, Paul's main concern was their faith. And since he was repeatedly unable to get to them, he had another plan, and that was to send Timothy instead. And so Timothy's visit is really verses chapter 3, 1 through 5. So let's just read this. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that a tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. There's some important truths we can't miss from these verses. And I want to point out the first one here being that we once again see the heart of Paul. Listen to his, his, his deep concern in verse 1. He says, when we could endure it no longer. In verse 5, he says, when I could endure it no longer. Paul had this massive pastoral heart for his people. The agony of of the unknown as to the spiritual condition of his people. This is really important. I speak to those of us who lead Genesis House in this church, that we can learn from Paul as to the the deep intensity that we can feel for the people's spiritual well-being of this congregation. But I want you to notice why Timothy was sent in verse 2. He says, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. This word strengthen means to set in a certain position or to set in a particular direction. Those of us who have um, used crazy glue know what it means to set something in a position, right? 
things are broken and we put the crazy glue on and we put it together and we think it's going to be set and permanent. That's what Timothy was sent to do, is to set them like crazy glue in their direction towards um, being loyal to Christ, to make sure that they were had a strong resolve into enduring the hardships they were facing. But the word really means to settle or to set in position mentally. Jesus used it of himself, of himself in Luke 9.51, I'll read these words to you. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That setting his face is the same word as strengthen in the Greek. He's looking to set his face. Jesus prepares himself mentally to go to the cross, knowing what, what it's going to endure. He also sent them to encourage them, which is the same word for imploring or begging or pleading with someone. So Timothy was sent really as a cheerleader to the Thessalonian Christians. And so Paul wanted to ensure from a leadership perspective, they were doing everything on their part to ensure the Thessalonians were standing firm in the Lord, knowing the hardships they were facing. Here's what's important. Even though the Thessalonians had initial saving faith, their faith could have been easily shaken by the hardships and trials brought about them from the, their own countrymen. So what really in question was their faithfulness. Yes, they had initial saving faith, but their faithfulness to persevere and endure was in question. And so Timothy was sent to strengthen them so they would continue in the resolve for Christ. And man, can we relate to that, can't we? When times are tough, when you face opposition, even fierce opposition from people, you don't seem to have the answers to what, why you're going through what you're going through, what you're facing, especially, again, if it's in ridicule and slander. It's at those times where we're the most tempted to pack it all in. And to say, Christianity is not for me. The Lord's not for me. And this is when someone else can be such a vital instrument in the Lord's kingdom to help us remain faithful. I hope that myself, along with everyone else who's taken a leadership role in this church, have been that for you. But in times of despair, that we've been there to strengthen and encourage you when you've wanted to say, walk away from the Lord. Or even been your cheerleader. Cheerleader. I can say without a doubt, you've been that to me. This will come as a surprise to maybe many of you, but in the 11 years of pastoring this church, I've almost packed it in probably at least 10 times. I've been at a threshold where I'm like, Lord, I am done. I am not going to do this any longer. And it's at that time I get a text message, a phone call, a conversation with one of you, reminding me of all the good things that have happened in the church community and how God's kingdom is moving into different areas of Okotoks. And that's what it took to keep me persevering in the Lord. So I thank you. Now, one of the ways that Paul wanted to strengthen and encourage these guys in the midst of suffering was to remind them 
that they were actually experiencing the same kind of treatments that Paul, Timothy, and Silas were undergoing. We really see this in um, verse 3. After he talks about them being Timothy being sent to encourage them in their faith, he says, I'm doing this so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. So Paul was really saying to the Thessalonians, listen, you might be packed, tempted to pack it all in because of persecution. Look at the life that we've lived. Look at what we've gone, gone through. And when we were with you months ago back in Thessalonica, we told you this was the destiny that we were facing in our own lives. I mean, Paul knew this to be his reality, right? In Acts chapter 9 and verse 16, he was told through Ananias that he was going to suffer for Jesus' namesake. And, and Timothy and Silas were walking in the footsteps of what Jesus professed in John 15 and verse 18. Jesus said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So this is probably the reason then why Paul told them to look at their lives. So the Thessalonians would not think that they were outside God's will and purposes if their life as a follower of Jesus was difficult. So if Paul and Timothy and the boys had to go through it, and they were still within God's loving hand and care, and within his wills and purposes, that they were going through it too, but they weren't outside of God's care and his love. They were well within God's means. So rather than the suffering being something that was surprising to them, it could have been expected as a follower of Jesus. Now, why would this be part and parcel of following Jesus? Why does it have to look like this at some times in our lives? I think Gordon Fee nails it. Gordon Fee says it this way. Christianity stands in total contradiction to the primary worldview and values of our broken world. It should therefore not be surprising that those who stand in opposition to such a world and its primary values, even if not verbally so, but by contrasting lifestyles, should regularly experience scorn and hatred of those who prefer Satan's values to Christ. So we're facing it because we stand in opposition to who we belong to, and the opposing values of both kingdoms. The more we conformed to the image of Jesus, the more we look in opposition to the world, and more we look different than the world. But in verse 5, Paul really reveals his deepest worry. He says, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and a labor would be in vain. This is a massive verse. And here again, we see the devil at work in the lives of believers. In chapter 2 and verse 18, we just read that he can prevent people from being able to see one another and travel to one another to encourage them and strengthen them. He can be a hindrance in thwarting travel plans and keeping people apart. We also see him now um, doing something even more. He is really using persecution 
as a means of tempting people to abandon Jesus altogether. Now, I know many people will say things like this in the Christian community, and I've even said it myself, but I've had to sort of rethink how I think about this. But people often say, well, persecution is good for the church because when persecution happens, the church grows. True, God can use persecution, but it's also a reality by which many people will walk away from Jesus Christ. If that's not the case, why is Paul so worried in these verses? If it's not the case, why all the worry where he can't endure this any longer, where he's more eager to see them face to face? And why would their labor be in vain? Now this word vain is important. The word vain means to be empty, fruitless, and void of effect void of effect. Paul is so concerned that the intensity and severity of the persecution would have rendered him, uh, rendered his time in Thessalonica fruitless, as if he'd never shown up in the first place. You know, thankfully I've been able to meet one person, uh, meet someone in person who told me about the life of the Chinese church. He was on the... Um, I met him about 10 years ago, and I was talking to him, and he said that um, his experience with the underground Chinese church was interesting. He said that he had met a man from China who suffered greatly for his faith in Christ. When he asked them, how did you endure it? He said that the Lord gave him a vision of Christians linked like a chain. So they were standing like this, with their arms like this, and everyone's arms were linked through. And when he saw that vision of a chain with the Christians linked, he said, I knew at that point I could not be the weak link in the chain. I refused to be the weak link in the chain. It was the vision of God's people who've endured it that kept them going. And I've talked about this fellow before, but in the book, The Heavenly Man, by Brother Yoon. By the way, Brother Yoon's supposed to be here on November 1st in Calgary. Um, I got to double check that that's still a go. If he is, we need to go see him. But in his book, he was talking about the hardships that the Chinese church had to endure as Christians. And in his book, he says, we had a phrase that the Chinese used in enduring such hardships. When they were going to waver and abandon Christ and deny him, he said, we all would say out loud or internally, we refuse to be a Judas. We don't want to be a Judas. This is really quite remarkable. The devil can use persecution as a real threat to Christians' faithfulness to the Lord. And you know, the effects of persecution even took its toll on Paul. I want you to notice something in Acts chapter 18 and 9 to 11. This is really important because we always think, well, of course Paul can, like we, we put Paul second to Jesus in terms of like the spiritual giant, right? And so we think, well, Paul's never had any problems, that Paul never had to worry about anything. You know, he was rock solid in his faith. Listen to what the Lord had to do for Paul in Acts chapter 18. He said, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, 
for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching the word of God. The constant beatings, the constant slander, the worrisome nights, all of the things that he was going through, Paul was obviously going through a, a personal struggle. And the Lord saw it in him and came to him in a vision to say, Paul, you don't have to worry, I've got your back. This is really important because this is the giant of the faith next to Jesus, right? And Paul is getting strengthened by the Lord. Thankfully, the Thessalonians acted and responded the same way as the Chinese church. Because when Timothy returned with the report, it was a good one. Look at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distresses and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Paul here can hardly express his joy, right? Hardly express in words his gratefulness for who they are. His prayers are here, or his, his report is nothing but full of praise. It's nothing but praise. All the emotional anguish and all the worry lifted. He could put this to rest now, knowing that the faith, their faith in Christ had been rock solid and their love had not diminished. Furthermore, he learns that there's a shared affection. Just as much as Paul and the boys loved them, they loved him in return, and they longed to see him. And this is why this whole report brought comfort to them. Their own faith was comforted from how the Thessalonians were doing. That's kind of a cool thought, isn't it? When you look at someone else's faith and how they're doing, and it brings comfort to you because you're excited for how they're doing. It's kind of an interesting Fun fact. <laughs> but Paul says, not only did it bring comfort, it brings joy. In verses 9 through 10, he says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy which, which we rejoice before our God on your account, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. This is a very interesting verse because he's just gone on about the, fight, the joy he has in them, the comfort he has in them, the excitement of the good report. And then he says, we want to see you face to face so we can complete what's lacking in your faith. They don't sound like a faith-lacking church. <laughs> but Paul says, uh, there's, a, there's a few things we still want to work out in your lives. Now, what I think is really important about this is, is the lesson that we're not to miss. And that is that we can rejoice in the faith of others and even in our own faith, even if it's not perfect, even if there's still a room for growth. Isn't that cool? Paul rejoices in a church and the faith that they do have, even though it's not fully completed yet, even though there's things to learn and to grow in. I think that speaks massively to us. Now what's lacking is not mentioned. Potentially what's lacking is going to be spoken of from here on in, like chapters 4 and 5 is going to address what they're lacking in. And that very well could be. The only 
hiccup to that is he says he wants to um, complete what is lacking when he sees them face to face. So it seems that he wants to do this more in person. Maybe it's a combination of both. He wants to write the letter, and then when he sees them face to face, speak in more detail about the things in the letter. Regardless, it's awesome. These guys are a solid church, but Paul recognizes there's still room for spiritual growth, but he rejoices in that and doesn't look negatively upon them. Our prayers for people and our thoughts about people who are fellow Christians aren't often filled with praise when people seem to lack certain things in their spiritual journey. Often we become critical and focus on the negative about what people are going through as opposed to what God is doing well in that person and how they have changed. So Paul teaches us an important lesson here where it's possible to rejoice in the faith of others when there's still room for growth. And so Paul ends with a prayer. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another, for all people, just as we also do in you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Awesome here. We see in the first part of Paul's prayer that he's praying that actually God would get involved to make this meeting happen. Part of his prayer life is to say, listen, I'm praying that the Lord would direct our way to you. So Satan's been a hindrance so far, but it hasn't stopped my prayer life in making this meeting happen. And so that's part of Paul's heart to still see them. It's important for us to remember this. When we see someone who needs encouraging, we see someone who needs strengthening, and the door seems to be closed, to keep continuing on in prayer that the Lord would get involved to open that door. The second part of the prayer is that they would abound more in love for their fellow Christians and those outside the church. Now, he makes it clear here that love is the pathway to holiness. Love is the pathway to holiness. If we want to be holy, we must abound in love. And it's a virtue that we all want to be known for when we, what the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he comes to, to get us. So what are we to learn from today's message? As Christians, there are times when our faith needs to be strengthened and encouraged by others. So the question would be, who has encouraged you as of late or in the past? In what ways did they help bolster your faithfulness to the Lord? And I actually should say something else here. Are you ready to be that person for someone else? And lastly, if you're struggling at the moment and need encouraging and strengthening, are you willing to reach out for help? Secondly, the devil actively seeks to weaken and destroy the faith of God's people.
by hindering us from seeing one another in order to bring encouragement and tempting us through opposition to abandon Jesus altogether. That's a pretty um, big uh, lesson there. But I hope it wakes us up to the spiritual realities of the unseen world. And maybe in effect the way we pray and think about this in terms of how we view relationships as we're seeking to minister to one another and other people. But I pray that would just impact your prayer life. Thirdly, although God can use persecution to grow his church, it's ultimately a tool of the devil to tempt Christians to abandon their faith in Christ. So does this change the way you viewed persecution in the past? How will this impact your prayer life for yourself and other people? And finally, the faith of others can be rejoiced in even if there's no room for spirit if there is room for spiritual growth. How much of your time in prayer is spent focusing on the negative of people's faith versus what is going well? And that really speaks to me, by the way. <laughs> speaks to me when as I seek to pastor a church. Where is the heart? Where is my focus? Where is the time, my, my mental energy going in terms of where people are at and how we're doing as a group? So as always, uh, not always, but many times that we do, let's have a time of discussion and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts.